Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. We are in the New Orleans Investment Conference 2022. I'm joined, as always, by founder and CEO of Monetary Metals, Keith Weiner, and we are delighted to be joined by a special guest, Lobo Tigre, from the IndependentSpeculator.com. Lobo, how are you doing today? I'm fine. What makes me a special guest? Well, you're one of our Any favorites. Any more special than the last I guy? I know, I know. Everyone's special. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's dive right in. So obviously, interest rate hikes have been kind of the hot topic. Uh, do you see interest rate hikes continuing in 2022, or do you think the Fed is going to have to say, listen, we're pivoting? I mean, 2023. Let's start with 2022 first. Because there's not we've much left of it. Uh, right. We've only got a couple months right. left. Well, then, yes, absolutely, they continue. They continue. I, I think, you know, the Fed would cause more ruckus right now if it backed out mm. of its guidance right now. The guidance is terminal rate, end of the year, early next year. So I do think they adhere to that. Now, whether it's 75 or 50 and when, that's debatable. But I, I have no question that they continue. And they, they would make things blow up if they didn't. Um, in my mind, the, the really important question for monetary metals in particular is, you know, what's the, the nature of the pause? Mm. Um, everybody is pricing in and expecting the pause. And I think a particularly important thing about the pause, like, you know, they get to their terminal rate. And in, right. in that terminal rate, you know, the market is kind of pushing it higher and higher as it goes. Um, but the expectation is, and I think even the hawks on the committee are saying, you know, at some point we need to pause and look, see what we've already done. You know, these are the most rapid increases on record or since whenever. So, so it does make sense to me that they will pause at some point and look around. Now, here's the thing. If the terminal rate is reached at the end of the year or, you know, January, and they pause to look, and at that time you still have war and an energy crisis in Europe, double-digit inflation in Europe, and you have the ECB tightening while the Fed is pausing, then that could really change the balance of things. As I, as I stepped up to this interview, you were talking to the dollar milkshake guy, right? Brent Johnson. So in, in that context, if the Fed is pausing while the ECB is tightening, the very same dollar milkshake mechanism that gold bugs love to hate right now could actually turn in gold's favor. If, if it reverses, it's reversible, right. right? So if it reverses this winter, uh, you know, that could make things very interesting for all real assets, especially right. gold and silver. And Brent wanted us to ask, what, what is the Bank of England going to do? What is the Bank of Japan going to do? Because clearly the Fed is in a tough spot, but the Fed is in one tough spot. These <laughs> other guys are in, you know, the, the heat of the fire. It's really interesting. As we're doing this interview, we have the news out now that Quasi Quartang has been sacked. Mm. Uh, it's a question, open question, how long He's do been you... What, Quasi Quartang has been sacked. He's been sacked. That was today? Yeah, just this morning. I did not That's, have a chance to get Breaking news, folks. <laughs> right? So, um, and wow. the open question as to long, how long the trust government itself will last. Wow. You know, this is enough of a sacrifice right. to appease the to, mob to appease, or not, yeah. right? Huh. Um, important takeaways, though, for resource investors are, you know, if there was any doubt that the UK or London was still an important financial hub, you know, that's been put to rest. Look right. at the, look at the, the waves this has caused in the mm. market. Um, for the perspective of monetary metals, though, I mean, it was really interesting. We were just talking about how Brent Johnson's dollar milkshake mechanism is reversible. It's neither bullish nor bearish for gold. It depends on what the dollar's doing. So we saw in spades exactly this demonstrated by the upsets in the UK. And when the pound fell, 
right? And the dollar, you know, and the gold fell. And then when it reversed, we saw you know, gold go screaming back up again. So I think in addition to, you know, I'll leave the, I'll leave the global analysis to Brent, but in addition to, yes, you need to pay attention to what's going on in the rest of the world because it affects um, the milkshake mechanism. I think it's, it's, I know you're already going to ask about this, and sorry, would you? but it really focuses the attention on how important the dollar is. I mean, of course it's the world reserve currency, of course it's important, but for our investments right now, and particularly gold, it's, it's long been known for decades that the number one variable is the real interest rate. Right? That's the highest correlation. It's not the only thing, but it's the one variable that everybody looks at is, you know, what are real interest rates doing? But this year, particularly since the war in Ukraine, um, gold and the DXY have been like a Rorschach blot, like mirror images, just, you know, moment to moment, intraday moves, just exactly opposite to each other. So this makes the dollar milkshake thing more important than ever right now, because it is, it is the prime driver. It is absolutely what's making things go up and down that we care about, right? So this business with the UK is an example of this in motion. What I said earlier about if the ECB is tightening while the Fed is pausing right. is another variable to look at here. So now objectively, I understand that you know, how the dollar compares to other fiat currencies, you know, who's winning the race to the base? That's, that's a stupid way to look at gold. Like the value of gold is what it is. Right. Not, you know, whether the yen or the yuan or the pound is beating the dollar today or losing to the, you know. But because of these things that we're talking about, because of the dollar milkshake mechanism, the DXY has become the variable to watch this year. So this is a key takeaway for your audience, you know. I don't take the DXY too seriously. I call it the wrong trousers in honor of Wallace and Gromit. It's a, it's a funny cartoon. You can look it up on YouTube. Uh, the DXY is the wrong trousers. It logically has nothing to do with the value of gold, or very little, tangentially maybe. Um, but it is the variable right now to watch. And if you want um, to know what's going to happen next, look at what's happening to the dollar and maybe you know listen to what Brent has to say since he nailed that one <laughs> so well well let, let's talk about key indicators for a second there's leading indicators there's lagging indicators there's key indicators what is a key indicator that obviously we're watching DXY but what's maybe a key indicator that everyone's watching that we really shouldn't be watching <laughs> well I would like to say the DXY it's the wrong trousers it's it's not what defines the value of an ounce of gold or especially silver now with its increased industrial aspect mm. Um, so what, uh, that's been my thing, but, but <laughs> and the world has turned on its head because it's become so important this year. Right. I think but, that um, go ahead. one way to look at that, and, and I agree that I mean, all the currencies can be sinking together even right. while Milton Friedman says they're floating and they're just sinking at different <laughs> rates. Right. The dollar sinking faster or slower than other currencies hmm. doesn't really have anything to do with gold. Right. The driver of DXY right now, and not at all times, but at the moment, is just stress in the credit markets. And so you get, and I've been talking about this in, in other interviews too, I think there's enormous buying pressure in gold as people look at the madness of central banks and also fiscal policy, but there's also enormous selling in gold, um, which is why the price has gone down. Um, and it's a, there's a lot of forced selling when people are in credit stress you know, they have a margin call, 
uh, or in a lot of cases, there's portfolio rebalancing. I mean, if your entire portfolio is down 40%, now gold, you're suddenly overweight relative to where your target was, so you're selling the gold. So there's, um, that's the connection, I think, between DXY temporarily. Okay. And then when, 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 they, when the central banks, I won't say fix the credit stress, because there's no real fix, right. but I'll use the word tamp it down. Sure. When they get that all tamped down and that's no longer flaring up at the moment, still smoldering but not flaring, right. then DXY will no longer be um, an interesting thing to look at. The correlation won't be there anymore with gold. And then it'll be on to the next temporary, the next six to nine month period will be a different thing that you're suddenly looking at. Like look at right after when COVID hit, um, gold traded exactly opposite to equities. Mm. Stocks falling, gold price rising. Mm. Now gold is trading with equities. Right, well, that's going to reverse again. There is no good long-term, and that's what makes gold such a great portfolio hedge. It doesn't have a, a long-term correlation to anything, really. Right. Um, and so... Uh, well, long-term inverse correlation to inflation. Oh. You know, the, you know, long-term, that you know, since 1971, that X chart of gold versus right. the value of the dollar, so... Um, although, you know, my, a big part of my thesis, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, we're here to interview you, but <laughs> a big part of my thesis is that we have particularly now, some very large non-monetary forces driving prices up, which gold doesn't respond to. You know, tariffs and Ukraine, where, you know, a lot of commodities used to be exported out of Ukraine that all basically stopped. Um, and then lockdown and the whiplash, there's a bunch of, I thought, hopefully temporary, you know, things that have really pushed consumer prices up, but they're not monetary in nature. And therefore, but when, when consumer prices go up simply because the dollar is devalued, then of course you see that the gold price is the inverse of the dollar. It is the, you know, ultimately the measure ultimately, of the dollar. Right. So um, if the dollar is cut in half, then the gold price has doubled. And that's absolutely true since 1971. And arguably since 1933, except the government right. had, you know, it's, it's like if you declare a, um, a, a rent control or something, right. that's not the real price, that's the statutory price. Or if you go to Argentina, what's the dollar worth? Oh, it's one dollar equals one peso. So by law, that's what they're saying, but actually, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the number's been moving along. But, but if you think about it, with the devaluation in the 30s, actually gold did do its job. If you want to think of it as a price, the price of gold went up. Right. I'm right. saying, but right. so right, there was that devaluation from $20.65 to $35. But after that, you have a flat line when I think actually, especially after the war, right. you had a rising price of gold that was you, you, the signal was suppressed. Right. The reality was it was rising, and so the 1970s was a very quick catch-up to a reality that had already occurred decades prior. Right. I want to ask now about kind of going back into the centuries. If we're holding on to one asset, you've got an asset that you can hold for a century, a decade, and just the next year. What what what, what might you hold? It's funny. There's. There's a story in the press just a couple days ago about some uh, gold coins found in a wall mm. somewhere in the Middle East where there had been an invasion and obviously the owner of whatever that place was hoped to come back and recover his treasure. Right. And it's still a treasure today. And even if you melted it down and destroyed the historic significance of the find, it would still be valuable, it would still be gold today. So there's no question in my mind, longer term, you know, gold is the thing 
but I, I don't see it as a speculation. I don't see it even as an investment. The, the reason to own gold is because it's, it's real, it's physical. I can hold it in my hand and it has value. Whatever happens to the fiat currencies or anything else in the world, it is what it is, and that's not going to change. So for the longer term, for the, for the decade ahead, you know, who knows what happens. You know, I, I like monetary metals for that, but I think for the, the decade or immediate decades ahead, actually my favorite thing more in the investment vein is copper. I think we're looking at protracted supply constraints on copper, the electrification story, whatever you may think of ESG and yeah. the green agenda, whatever, right. you know, that is the that way the world is going. Consumers want electric cars now. Mm. That's, that's, Genie's not going back in the bottle. Right. So, and copper is essential to any of them. You know, whether we have need nickel for the batteries or not, well, there's some batteries that don't have any nickel or cobalt in them at all. There's lots of variables here. Uh, lithium is very important. That's not going away, but there's a lot of it. Uh, where it's copper, you know, <laughs> there's, there, it, it's not just me, it's the Wood Mackenzies of the world at some of the, the, the biggest, most reputable shops in this space. Everybody's looking at a copper shortage going forward after the very immediate term. There's debate this year, but going ahead, I actually think you know, the best in that space, that's almost you know, buy it and forget it kind of investing. That's how strongly I feel about copper. For the immediate year ahead, it would be uranium. Um, you know, we're talking about how the dollars, you know, that dollar wrecking ball as the media calls it, it's destroying everything. Uh, and gold is doing great because it's down less than everything else. But you know what? The other yellow metal, uranium, is up this year. Mm. And while everything else has been smacked around by the dollar lately, it's been waffling around 50 bucks, um, which is a great improvement over last year, which was a great improvement over the year before. So it's, it's actually in a multi-year, volatile, but multi-year upward trend. The demand is just going crazy. With the war and everything, even Germany is considering holding on to like, its nuclear even power. Even Greta, Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Even Greta even Thunberg, Greta, right, right, yes. Sure. Greta, Greta so goes. How, how much upside do you think there is in uranium from here? Wow. That's <laughs> Tough okay. questions here. A yeah, no, this, yeah, so, yeah, so there's, a, there's this, you know, uranium bugs hate it when they say this. But there's this expectation it's going to be like 2007 all over again, and it's going to go from seven dollars. Well, that was, you know, before, but seven dollars to 140. It's going to go. You know, we're all going to make. You know. um, but the last time that happened, there was there was no Kazatom prom. Now the largest and there was, lowest, no what? there was no Kazatom prom, the largest and cheapest producer in the world. It, it's a different market than it was then. So I do think it goes up, and as markets do, I do think it overshoots. Um, does it go to triple digits? Probably, at the moment of maximum enthusiasm. Does it stay there? I don't think so. Uranium is actually not that rare. Um, in economic, ready-to-go deposits, there's only a few of those. So I do see an imbalance there. But I do think high prices cure high prices in this space. Right. And I don't think that takes very long. When you still have the two biggest producers, Kazatom Palm and Cameco, under voluntary production costs. So there is easy supply to come back online, never mind all the new projects that, that already, you know, people are starting to build these projects that have been waiting for higher uranium prices. That's why I said the next year or so. So I, I you know, absent a major nuclear incident, right, another Fukushima or something, this is my highest conviction trait for the immediate term. 
it's hap it's not, you know, our friend Rick Rule likes to say that don't confuse the inevitable with the imminent. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't want inevitable, I want imminent. That's I good. want happening now. That's this great. is happening now. So I, I like that a lot. Um, but don't forget to take profits because it's a space where high prices will cure high prices. Right. And it is a space that as much as the, the market fundamentals and the technicals are on my side now, it literally can blow up on us overnight. So <laughs> take well, profits. We, we got to thank Rick for that. I, I like that a lot. Imminent but not inevitable. Using that framework, let's talk about the recession or, you know, as, as the story will be told in a second, the recession or the banana. Are we in an inevitable point at getting into a recession or is it imminent? Uh, what, what do you think? I would put that in the happening now category as okay. well. The banana is here. The banana Whether is you here. want to deny it or not, there's banana deniers out there. How dare they? So Keith, why don't you explain? What, banana, recession, what's the joke here? Uh, I have to go Google it. So here I'm going to be on video for all time <laughs> not without, my, without my facts straight. And I want to say it was a Fed chair. And I want to say it was the 1970s. Okay. But the story is he was talking in his speeches about recession probable or imminent or whatever. And the president told them, don't say that because that's going to hurt his um, chances of reelection. So in his next speech, he said, my boss, the president said not to say recession. So when I mean recession, I'm going to say banana. And so there's high likelihood of a banana next quarter and a banana this and a banana that. And the banana will last three quarters. And um, which I just think is super funny that he would actually say, my boss said not to say this and then says that on TV. Well, yeah. so the banana deniers. We're not in a banana right now. Yeah. But what do you think? I mean, with interest rate hikes, they are depends certainly on what the, I, have to, I have to say this. I'm sorry. Depends on what the meaning of the word banana is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and there, there are different scales of banana. Sure. I mean, the, the global banana, mm. I think, is clearly upon us. The, the European banana is right there smacking you in the face. The right. UK banana, I mean... <laughs> um, the U.S. has the most plausible deniability on the banana front because of the supposedly strong labor market. Sure. But I have to call BS on that. You know, when, when you have such low labor force participation, the numbers are artificial. And even, even um, Powell says that. Even Powell admits that the official unemployment rate isn't real. But I see the Fed as being, like, balanced on a one-legged stool. I mean, there's weakness visible everywhere else, never mind the so-called technical definition of two quarters. Sure. Um, you know, everything else, if it's not bad, it's souring. So it's clearly there. And yet the Fed is up to saying, oh, but we have this wonderful, strong employment market, even though we don't quite believe it. Right? Oh, and oh. so it's like, this, it's like they're balanced on this one-legged stool with a noose around their neck tied to the beam, and they're saying, this is perfectly safe, we're fine here. I, so, say, I have to just jump in on that. The stated intentions yeah. of the Fed is to cause unemployment, to take, you know, to, to lessen demand, and therefore get consumer prices to come down. So on the one hand saying we're trying to cause unemployment, on the other hand saying, you know, employment right. is strong, it's just kind of a you know, twisted into a pretzel sort of posture. Yeah, and it's like knocking that one leg the stool is on. But they're th like, this is perfectly safe. We can manage. Like, people are talking about, like, even the bears, the, on the mainstream media, the bears on Wall Street are saying, oh, it's going to go up to four and a half, maybe five percent. I think they're delusional. I think once, once the banana really hits, you know, big, messy banana goo everywhere, uh, the layoffs are not going to be mild and quick you're going to have, especially in the tech sector and some of yeah. these interest rate sensitive places, wow. the layoffs are going to be massive. 
they're going to hurt. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I really do think we're going to see, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. I think we're going to see a lot of rhymes with the 70s. And for gold and silver bugs out there, monetary metal fans, I think one of the key things to look for is how gullible, sorry, but the Bubus Americanus, the consumer sentiment, you know, just came out this morning, it's higher again. And the issue here, and I don't understand why people believe still the transitory story, but there's a key data point just out this morning, right? The consumer sentiment was high, but their inflation expectations have suddenly jotted back up again. Mm. Over the last few months, inflation expectations have been going down right. with gas prices. Mm. And just now, we got the new number back up to 5.1 from 4.7. So one data point doesn't make a trend, but this is potentially very interesting because I think the big ingredient missing from now in the 1970s was back then everybody knew, like the entrenched inflation expectation. People knew that prices were going up, so you bought things now because you knew it was going to go up later. You bought gold and silver now because you knew that was your way to hedge inflation. That's not present now in the broader market space. The, the average person out there doesn't think about gold or silver at all. And until, at least until now, they've been thinking the Fed was gonna beat inflation. When that changes, I think that's when we see a lot more rhyming with the 1970s. And, uh, you know, sticky high inflation, we'll see how long until that rhyme comes back. Well, let, let's hit on inflation for a second. If there's non-monetary forces causing a lot of this inflation pressure, how are interest rate hikes that are going to kill some of these zombie corporations, kill some of these high-tech sectors? Uh, I don't see how unemployment, lower production, how will that lower inflation? I mean, I, I didn't take economics in school, but am I missing something here? Well, no, but yes and no a little bit. I mean, if, if we lived in a world where real money was still the currency of the land, right, um, things would... I think correlate and correspond and work in a much more predictable way. Right. In a world where we have a fiat monetary system, you, you take something that might be a little more mechanistic, not entirely, and you take it, it's this gooey psychology comes into play. And expectations and confidence and all that stuff, you know, it shouldn't matter as much as it does, but it does in a fiat system, because it does affect velocity of money, which I know is an abstraction. But you know, if, we, if money was physical, it was real, and you had to have it in the bank to write a check on it or whatever, it's different than when you have you know, banks printing money into existence and, and that can expand and contract. So, so we saw M2, like the supposedly real money, go up and we saw inflation go with that. We've seen that stop. But then things overshoot, they go beyond because of all this other stuff. So, to answer your question, no, you're not wrong. There is the supply, the you know, issues with inflation, and nothing the Fed does can change that. Right. On the other hand, you, you can't just dismiss demand destruction. That does work. If if yes, if Powell does. does get half the country fired, you know what? They're going to stop spending as much money, and that will affect consumer prices. Well, let's talk about this demand destruction. It's kind of a euphemism, right? I kick the kick the bucket, but. If you're kicking the bucket of the economy, that's real people, real jobs, real companies. What is this idea of demand destruction? And can you kind of break that down for us? It doesn't sound as rosy when you when you explain it, Keith. Well, what was the old joke about? It's a recession when my neighbor loses his job, and it's a depression. So they want to cause a recession. Banana. And a banana. That's right. A re-banana. Banana. That um, my neighbor loses his job, and therefore doesn't outcompete me to buy groceries, and therefore the price of groceries goes down. Right. And even if that theory were true, and I have a lot more to say on that topic, 
But even if that theory were true, that's kind of morally reprehensible. Say, well, we're going to render all these other people unemployed. To me, this, this sounds a lot like the politics of we have to um, put in a $10 billion light rail system in our city. And everybody sitting there stuck in traffic is thinking, all these other bozos that are in my way, I, I don't plan on getting on the light rail, of course. Right. But all these other people will get on the light rail, they'll get out of my way, and the highway will be a zip right into downtown. <coughs> Not thinking that, um, no, uh, the other ones are thinking that's going to be true of them. And the same thing is true with a, with a banana, is, um, you know, who's losing their job? And the idea that everybody would vote for somebody else to lose, the, it's like survivor meets Keynesian economics. You know, we get to vote you off the island, and, um, you know, but off the island means to lose your job. Right, and, and what do you think about this idea of Powell, and we've got midterms coming up, do you think he's going to try to save the economy and, and turn this around for Biden, or is it really staying the course and the Fed is not political in that sense? Right. Um, yeah, actually, I, th I think that would backfire. If, if, he was, backfire. if he was perceived as trying to help mm. Biden, I think that would probably hurt Biden. So, yeah, I expect them to at least talk the talk, you know, and, you know, elections coming up, so there's not a lot of time for them to, you know, the, the midterms are upon us. So, yeah. Um, but to, to I, I think Keith said something really interesting, morally reprehensible, you know, aren't we evil capitalists and all we care about is making money? No, actually, most people, um, even, you know, most people do care about right and wrong. And throwing people under the bus to help yourself, you know, that's not necessary. And, but broader, looking at the economy, these guys, the mainstream economists, especially you know, hundreds of them working for the Fed, you know, they have these models, and they're incorrect. <laughs> but their models say that this is how you do things. It, it, you know, we, we have to. You know, we, we're not trying to be mean, we have to, to hurt people and, and unemploy them because that's how you control inflation. But what if that's not true? You know, what's the, there is supply side economics too. You know, what if you grow the pie? And you know, it's really unfortunate what's happened just now in the UK because the, the trust government proposed opening up the economy, trying to grow their way out of some of the difficulty, um, cut taxes, open things up. And that is another way. That's, this, that's not, that's not um, imaginary. That really can't happen. But the problem was they also proposed you know, the tax cuts and spending increases at the same time. Right, of course. And everybody called BS on that. And, but, but, but what's going to be remembered? Nobody's going to remember the growth option. Nobody's going to remember the, the, the opening up of possibilities and not firing people to, to, to heal the problem. Everybody's going to remember the tax cuts. Right. Those, you know, those got the ax first. And, you know, I, it's, you know, people are going to blame the victim here in a way. Uh, and, but there is, I think, it, it's never going to happen because we'll never get elected with such unpopular ideas. But it is actually possible, I think, to address these issues in constructive ways. Uh, let's say it's physically possible or real world possible. It's politically unfeasible. Political our world right now. Right, well, uh, we're going to wrap up here in just one second. I got one more question for you, but before we get there, where can people find your work? Independentspeculator.com, thank you for asking. Okay, let's get to our final question here. We're at the New Orleans Investment Conference, obviously all talking about investing. What's some of the best investing advice you've ever received that you can share with us? 
Well, we talked about Rick and his inevitable and imminent. That's an important one. Uh, so I'll go back to Rick, and he likes to say that the average investors or speculators' worst enemy is to the left of their right ear and to the right of their left ear. In other words, it's yourself. Mm. And when people ask me, how do I start or what do I do, it sounds mushy and psychological, you know, like self-help, whatever, but I think it's actually quite important. And it is to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what kind of investor you are and to be honest with yourself. You know, remember Rick's ears, right? Because if you have a low risk tolerance, for example, and you dive into penny stocks in the golden space, right, right. these juniors, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get your posterior handed to you. So I think it's, it's really important. Have your goals defined to the degree that you can. Be rational, be disciplined. Discipline pays. And know yourself, master yourself, and you'll be ahead of 90% of the, the herd. I love it, it's great advice. We have had such a great time with you on the show and we look forward to seeing you later. Okay, well thank you very much. Thanks for stopping by. That's all for the Gold Exchange Podcast. We'll see you soon. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions. And our gold financing simplified. Reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time.